This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Express. This is the episode where we make it make sense. We take that name and we reclaim it, we make it real. I'm really, really conscious that for the last couple of weeks that all I've been doing is talking about English wrestling and I've called my podcast Eurograps Express. So I think it's high time we actually went to Europe and we're going to spend the entirety of this episode in Germany talking about WXW 16 Karat Gold Weekend. I think that's that's really appropriate, not only because the podcast is called Eurograps Express, but 16 Karat Gold is a, is a really significant point in the calendar, or at least it has been in previous years. Obviously, with, with the pandemic and, and, and everything else, it, it's dropped off, but it felt like when 16 Karat Gold happened, you would, you would open Twitter, and if you were in that, that British and Irish circle, you would see everybody going over there to, to celebrate wrestling. It wasn't so much about what happened in the ring. It was, it was more about everybody going together as fans and enjoying, enjoying what was there and enjoying being together and, and, and being friends. And I mean, I, I'm not particularly part of that. I'm, I'm, you know, between having crippling social anxiety and a career in education, I can't just, I can't just get the train over to or the bus or the whatever or the plane over to Germany. Um, but it almost felt like we were part of it just by looking at it on Twitter. It, it was, it was, it was fantastic, um, and it's great to see it back. Germany is a country that I that I absolutely love, and I've only ever been there once. I've been for a week. I went to Berlin once about five years ago, and I I loved it. Um, it was a really last minute thing. I didn't really expect to be going, and it was one of those when. You know, you just you've got some time off work, and and you know you're having a bit a bit of a tough time, and my wife said to me, "Well, we really need to book somewhere. We need to go away." And and we went on Skyscanner and found cheap old flights, and it was to Berlin. And I, I wasn't really expecting much, but I found myself coming back from that holiday in a in a really weird state of mind. I've been to lots of cities in Europe, you know, and uh, I've come back from places like Paris and Barcelona and, and, and Dublin and. I'd feel like I had a, a fantastic time and, um, you know, it was a, a a whirlwind of culture and food and drinking and stuffing my fat face and, and, and getting to, you know, just spending time with my wife and having a great time. But I came back being really glad to be in the arse end of Salford. But when I came back from Berlin I, and I felt really different, I felt like actually I could live there. I've got these really happy memories of, of walking around Berlin late at night to a ramen restaurant that a friend had recommended and 
and then coming home and, and walking through this park that was lit up by fairy lights and looking around it was one o'clock in the morning on a Friday night and seeing this park full of people, young and old, black, white, everyone, you know, all everyone you could imagine having a couple of drinks in this park and relaxing and me and my wife went to the corner shop and we got a bottle of red wine and a few beers and we sat down in this park and and we had a chat and everyone around us was just talking. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but it was that vibe, that feeling of everyone just being together and getting along. And it was just a really lovely experience that, that's always stuck with me. And um, nights like this, when I'm, like, as I say, I'm in the arse end of Salford, as always, I record these late at night and I'm, I'm looking out my, my, my big dining room window out at the street. And those are the kind of places that I think about when I'm on my own late at night those kind of happy things but anyway I'm kind of digressing I don't think that the WXW Carrot Weekend is anything like that it's a massive piss up I think it's the Britress equivalent of Ibiza and it looks fantastic um, not necessarily for me given the fact that if I have two beers I fall over um, but for the people that go it looks brilliant and I think there's a feeling around Carrot that is exciting if they call it in the uh, in the commentary and in the announcing, they call it the um, a festival of wrestling, and I just think that's a lovely idea, and it's something that we don't really have anywhere in the world, certainly not in the West. I suppose we've got WrestleMania weekend, but that's gone now, hasn't it? That's that's dead and buried. Um, but it's it's nice to have a celebration of wrestling, and I think that's in a lot of ways what Carrot has been and what Carrot wants to get back to being. Um, so in this episode, we're going to go through pretty much every show. Um, the only shows that I'm going to miss out is uh, there was a recording of Wheel of Wrestling that has literally gone up minutes before I've hit record. So I've not had time to watch that. And there was also a show where lots of promotions around Europe um, put in offer matches. And that's not gone up yet. And I feel a bit disappointed about that because that, that kind of feels like a Euro Graps Express thing to do. You know, <laughs> I feel like that's what I want to be looking at is the is the, uh, is the offer matches from, from European promotions. But hey, it is what it is. And if there's anything good on that, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. In fact, actually, I should have mentioned that the title Euro Graps Express um, is not because I'm a dog who's into trains. I don't know anything about trains. I'm a dork who's into Kraftwerk, and uh, the Trans Europe Express record uh, came to mind when I was thinking about Europe. Um, so that, that that that's why the podcast is called what it's called. So I think we should get right into it. We're going to start with the first show of the weekend, uh, which was the Inner Circle show, uh, Carrot Gold One, Two, and Three, and also the Ambition show. And we're going to talk about every match. I thought about lots and lots of clever ways to do this, whether I was going to rank them or I was going to maybe try and come up with some narratives that, that we could link all the way through. But remember, this podcast is a late night chat with a mate about wrestling, so we're not going to get too fancy. I've just I've got a big Google Doc with all my thoughts, and we'll, we'll go through them and we'll see where it ends up. So go and put the kettle on. Make yourself a cup of tea, and I, I really do mean that as well. And this <laughs> this reminds me of something that when I, I started podcasting, nobody told me. Um, they, nobody told me what the hardest thing was going to be. You know, everyone talks about the research that you have to do, and the, and the actually watching the wrestling and the, having the hot takes. But the hardest thing I found about podcasting is the transitions and how to move from one section to another. And I've come up with these little darky phrases like, go make a cup of tea. 
um, because it, it just feels friendly, doesn't it? Um, I feel like I've invited you in in a, in a weird way. There's something about being in a in an English home. Uh, you invite someone in, you offer them a cup of tea as a as a as a bargaining gesture that you're not a dickhead, that you, you're a friendly person and you have manners. So that's why I started saying it. And I'm, I went on the Discord, the Voices of Wrestling Discord, and people are actually making cups of tea while they listen. And I just think that's fantastic. Um, so please go make a cup of tea. I've got one here. I've got a cup of Yorkshire tea. Um, I've also got some biscuits as well. So get some biscuits. I've got some Jabby Dodgers and some Whisper Biscuits um, that I'm dipping in. And I, I think you should do that as well. I think you should find joy in the little things in life and... I don't think there's many things more joyful than a, a, a cup of tea and a biscuit to dunk in it. Maybe next week I might have cheese and crackers because that's another thing that, that is just is wonderfully joyful. Just little things that, that make your life better. We don't need big things to make our life better. We don't need holidays and cars and, monies and, and, and money and mansions and, or anything like that. We need tea and biscuits and cheese and crackers. And we also need wrestling. So genuinely, go and put that kettle on. And let's talk about some wrestling. So before we get into the tournament proper, we had a little show in a circle um, in the WXW Training Centre for the real hardcore fans. You know, anyone there was was a proper nutter who just who, who just had to see more wrestling. They'd gone to a, a weekend of wrestling and they just needed more wrestling than they could possibly tolerate. Um, but actually, Inner Circle was a, was a really good show. Um, it was it was a really nice show to watch as well because it, it featured wrestlers who were on the bigger cards um, in a more intimate setting. And, and for people who may be falling behind a bit on WXW, which I think is most people, to be fair, um, it gave you a little bit of a catch-up, especially with the Hungarian talent that they're using a lot of now. You could kind of get to know them. And overall, they did a really, really good job of introducing that talent. Um, we started off uh, with uh, Shigehiro Irie, who's obviously a, a, an old WXW favourite from Japan against Guliash Jr., um, and Irie is just lovely to see. He's he's somebody who I've I've seen briefly in Japan. I know he, he did a few eight, uh, all Japan shots. I, I tend not to watch the DDT stuff, um, but he's somebody who is that old traveling wrestler that we don't really get for for very obvious reasons. Who's just really well received in Europe. Um, I feel often in places like WXW where a, a a foreign talent goes there and embraces it that that's really appreciated. Um, and Irie has built that up over the years, and he clearly loves being in Germany and going back. And he's going to be somebody we're going to be talking about a lot. Um, I feel like he takes his time in Europe seriously, and not everybody does that. A lot of traveling talent kind of treat Europe as a bit of a joke, and they go through the motions. But Irie never does. I go up and down on him, to be honest with you. I don't know if I think he's a particularly great wrestler. I think he's fine. Um, I think he has one match that he seems to deliver variations on, but I don't believe that's intentional. I, th I, th I think he goes out and gives us a lot of effort, and we're going to see that later on, especially as he works his way through the tournament. Um, he was wrestling Gulliash Jr., uh, the bull of the village, who's a big lad from Hungary. Um, and Gulliash is a guy who I've seen a little bit in, in WXW. He's been going and essentially losing quite a lot. Um, and this was just a match of two big lads hitting each other with sentons and shoulder blocks and 
I think that was that's just it's just entertaining, isn't it? You know, I, I really question wrestling fans who don't want to see two big lads battering each other. Uh, Gulias is really good. Um, he's good now. I think he could be a lot better. He does that armpit thing that the Nasty Boys used to do, where he shoves his armpit in his opponent's face. Now I just feel that that's a little bit unnecessary for him really it just it's not particularly original it's not entertaining for me um i am famously a grump though um i feel like gulias is still at the scripted part of his career he's clearly charismatic and competent but he, he just needs something and i think that something is 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 confidence in a lot of ways just to be able to relax into the ring it's not gimmick he's got great swinging suplexes and i think he needs to learn into that uh, sorry, lean into that a little bit more rather than the shoving his armpit into people's faces. Um, because when they were locking hands and, and smashing it shoulder to shoulder, the sound and the noise was just was brilliant. It was that hoss fight that we don't really see as much as I want to. And I'm seeing, you know, skin slap onto skin. Um, and I think I think he's got a real talent there. Um, the ending of this was a bit suspicious. Irie got a little bit close to the ropes on the pin, but it, this was a great opener to a weekend. We had a beloved star. Um, it was a big banger match and with high energy, and we, we we saw some classic moves. No one reinvented the wheel. It was it was just two big lads hitting each other, and I thought that was a really really great way to start the match. Then we had a tag match. We had Golden Boy Santos and Vaughn Vertigo against Norman Harass and Sebastian Suave. Or Suave, they kept saying on the on the commentary, but he's he's from Canada, so I, I thought it would be Suave, but but who knows? Um Santos is from Portugal. Um the Canadian team here were really gimmicky. Um, you know, I I, I sort of get that thing with people like Sebastian Suave. He's doing the old keep it back, you know, holding wrestlers back and trying to stop fights. Uh, and, and just generally being pretty annoying in in the ring, and he he said clever lines like "My mum was gonna watch this," and I'm seeing this kind of heel routine a lot. It's it's from the Mad Kurt school of wrestling, and I get it. I, I I do understand what they're going for. I should want to see him punched and and beaten up, but but actually I I don't really care. And he wasn't particularly very good at that routine himself. You know, there was lines where he said, get out of here and give me my big, big pause, big, big pause, glory time. And I thought, well, you know, you've, you've completely fluffed that line and, and wrestling is, is very much a, a live entertainment medium. And, and if, you, if you're fluffing lines, maybe you shouldn't do it. Um, Golden Boy Santos had a lot of fire, brought the match to life, but... It really made me think about comedy wrestling this match. And is comedy wrestling actually funny? I don't really know. I, I often find that if I'm live and I'm watching matches with comedy elements, I'm much more forgiving of it. I feel like sometimes I need that in a show. You know, if things are really serious for a lot of the time, it can, it can become quite dragging. But actually, comedy wrestling, it doesn't. It feels like you're seeing the same jokes over and over again, and, and, and it's just one of those things. I thought Vertigo was, was brilliant here, Vaughn Vertigo. He had some excellent strikes, and he really reminded me of 123 Kid. I, I don't mean X Pac, I mean 123 Kid. You know, and that, that, I think that was a, that, that's a fantastic influence that we, we don't often see. Um, next up on the show, we had uh, Aussie versus Ava Everett. Uh, Ava's from, from Smash Wrestling. 
uh, which they seem to be using quite a lot of Smash Wrestling talent. Um, Arce is from Budapest. She's another one of the Hungarian wrestlers, and, and she had a really great look about her. She she came out screaming. Um, she was actually quite scary. Um, and then Ava was was really patronising to her. She was just straight out of the eighties. Um, she had a chain in her pants, which I'm I'm not sure he's good for wrestling. I'm not sure from a health and safety perspective we want that. But she looked fantastic, and and she she had this this great throwback look, this kind of Lita era era look, which I thought was really really cool. Um, Aussie was was I thought was okay, and I I came on here ready to bury her. You know, I remember not bury her as such. I'm I'm not really that sort of critic, but she had an okay sunset flip, but she had a a, a terrible spear. Lots of wrestlers have terrible spears, and, and, and I came on ready to talk about that. But then I found out that she's had a handful of matches. And for somebody so early in the career, I thought she was in- incredibly impressive. Uh, Everett wins uh, because she's got a title shot. Um, and, and, and that. But Aussie was actually treated, I think, really well here. She was treated appropriately. I think it's difficult sometimes in these situations to get that balance right. And I think they did. You know, Ava got the win and it felt like a win. It felt like it mattered. It felt like it wasn't just a squash. It's something that anyone could have done. It, it felt important. And I thought that was really cool. Then we had Endicara against uh, Fuminori Abe. Um, Endicara, the circus assassin, small guy, but absolutely terrifying. I've talked before on the show about wrestlers being intimidating and i think we assume a lot of that comes from size but i, I really don't think it does the i think it comes from how you carry yourself and endicara has just got this intimidating air about him that really works abe is a wrestler who deep puro people says good um and it's kind of nice for me to actually find out i don't watch a lot of basara and ddt and you know, rather than just sort of nod along and go, yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. I can actually find out for myself and tell you. And that's one of the great things about Carrot is that we're gonna we're gonna finally get to make our own decisions about these wrestling. Um, this was just ridiculously excessive wrestling. Um, great grappling, and you know, there's grapple for ropes, and they'd, they'd be pull- Abe's really good at when submissions get pulled apart he always gets like a parting shot in you know just a, a sneaky little thing that I, I think works really well um and the carriage just got fascinating speed he's just he's he's not on the same level as an abbe you feel like he's one of those that's a step behind but he he's got that speed that, that's really interesting and he was really smartly booked we were just given a lesson here on what abbe can do we're going to talk about that in much more detail later um but you know, Abe was really impressive. A little bit much with the comedy at the time. He, but he's good. He kind of flirts with breaking the rules. You know, he's he's pushing the rules rather than breaking them. And I think that's a really key part of being a heel. I think a good heel doesn't just cheat. They push the rules. You know, they find out the limits of them. They they let you know that they could cheat at any second. And I think that that's really important. Then we had Ace Romero against Dennis Cash Dulnig. Um, we this match started with a dance off. It started with a dance off, and as soon as that dance off started, I just absolutely switched off. And I feel like sometimes the wrestling crowd is their own worst enemy. We had one of my most hated things in wrestling, and I'm going to talk about a few of them now in this show, but. That thing when a wrestler's about to get into the ring 
and everybody goes, ooh, and then cheers when they get in the ring. I don't get why, I, I don't understand why that's funny. And I know sometimes on this show I come across like such a grumpy bastard, and such an old man. I just do not understand why that is funny. They were trying on each other's shirts and, and the crowd are going mad and, and I've got my phone out and I'm looking on Element Games for model trees for my wargaming. <laughs> That's the point I was at. I just, I mean, the bell rings and, you know, Dornig leaps over and Ace Romero's dropkick is great and I've got a bit of a problem with Ace Romero. I, 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 I think he's, he's great at certain elements, but I wonder if there's a big curve with him because he is such a big bloke that I wonder if sometimes when I'm watching him, I think that's good for a big bloke. Is it actually good? I, I don't know. Um, and that's something we're going to explore later on. Um, there were lots of little details in this that I really liked, you know, uh, like Romero absolutely launched uh, Dolnig at one point and he ended up being pushed into the ref. But there was just lots of things in this match that weren't really needed, like Dolnik going for a chair when the ref was down, and he was just really overbooked. I felt like this match went on far too long. It could have just been half the time and, and been a straight wrestling match, but it is what it is. Then we had an eight-man tag team elimination match, and this was the uh, the Hungarian crew, the HCW dojo of Dover Icarus, uh, Maverick and Peter Tiani against the WXW Academy of James Runyon, Oscar, Robert Dysker and the Rotation and I know the Arrows are hungry quite well and I miss them being in Red Pro and I just think they're absolute badasses it's the song, you know the, the Hungarian crew just felt so unified the way they posed together in the corner, they were ready to fight and I was all in on this you know, it, it almost felt like uh, a, a force ready to prove that they were better at wrestling than this other academy and it just the, the setup of the match itself just lended itself to a really simple story that I, I was desperate to to be part of um overall it was really good uh, this was a, a bit ambitious at times uh maverick missed a couple of cues um but i, I do like high flyers that look like they're on the edge uh, rotation's the same, he always feels like he's right on the edge of what he can do and I think with high flying we tend to prioritise and, and praise smoothness and I think that's great but there's just something visceral about someone who looks like they're about to kill <laughs> about to kill themselves and there was lots of that in this that I thought was really good. There were lots of moments of juxtaposition in here where there'd be lots of high flying but then a guy like Icarus would come in and when Icarus comes in it just gets serious I don't know what it was about the Arrows of Hungary in this match. I don't know if it was the gaudy trunks with the flag. Uh, the boots were just really old school. They were trendy. Uh, but it just, whenever Icarus or Dover came in, it just felt legitimised. Um, it felt like it was dragged into this area of reality that I just really engaged with. Um, it's fantastic. Um, and we got some legitimate mat wrestling, which was really good. Um, some great strike uh, strike fests, some great back and forth, um, and Tiani was fantastic, and he's going to be a, a big a, a big takeaway from this uh, weekend. Um, so that was the opening show. Not essential by any means. It was entertaining. It was a really good, you know, the inner circle thing was just a really great idea. And actually, I think over the weekend, this is probably the show that I was most entertained with overall. 
um, but not essential by any stretch, but definitely enjoyable. So let's get into the tournament proper and talk about Carrot Nights 1, 2 and 3. I bloody love a tournament. It's one of my favourite events in wrestling, just any kind of tournament. I think it's because it automatically has that thing that I've, I've talked about before about really, really simple foundations. I think there's lots and lots of ways you can push wrestling as an art form, lots of ways you can really, really do exciting things, but I like the foundations to be simple. And there's nothing more simple or straightforward than a tournament. If you win, you go through. If you lose, you're out. Remember when I, I first started really getting into wrestling and following wrestling, so not just grabbing random tapes or you know going to car boot sales with my dad and, and digging through finding old events. Um, one of the first tapes I bought with money that I wanted that was a latest event was Survivor Series '98, um, the uh, Deadly Games tournament. And it's, I mean, it's rubbish, isn't it? Like I went back and watched it uh, when the network came out. It's absolutely pants, but I think right from the start, it was always about these tournaments because it just it feels exciting to have these brackets and to, to wonder what's going to happen and make predictions. And, and I suppose as you get older as well, for that smarky side of you to work out what you do. You know, when every year when they send round the uh, the G one pickums or the New Japan Cup pickums that Chris Samsa does or Voices of Wrestling does, you you think, well, what would I do? Um, you know, how would I? And, and, and I remember looking at those G ones, and I'd always get them wrong every time. I'd submit a picker, but I'd get them absolutely insanely off base, like just completely bonkers. Um, and it, it allows people like us to have a look at booking decisions and, 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 and evaluate what we would have done versus what a great booker would do. The start of this was fantastic. They marched everyone down to the ring. They all had their matching T-shirts and it, it felt legitimate. It felt like an opening ceremony to something. And the crowd were, were red hot right from the start. I mean, the crowd were red hot all weekend. Uh, but this really felt fresh. It felt good. Um, with They were reading out all the names and I was in. I was on board. And we went straight into the first round matches. And it was Coach Dreisker against Fuminori Abe. Um, Abe, I, I was thinking a lot about him from watching the, the Inner Circle show. And, and, and this my problem with Abe was kind of exasperated in this match. I do think he's really good. I, I'm not sort of, He's not somebody that I, I, I don't want to see. He's, he doesn't annoy me or anything like that. But I just find he really dances on the silly. I don't know what side of the fence he, he falls on because for me, when when wrestling gets too silly and too stupid, it kind of it, it, it turns me off a bit. And he really dances on that line of being too much. There were moments in this match where he would jump over the ref because the ref was on his hands and knees and he'd use that as a as a springboard. But it it just why would the ref be in that position for so long? He just didn't. He was he was sort of doing a, a pinfall and he stayed in that position. It just seemed like a weird thing to do. There was a bit where he was um, breaking out of a, a submission to do a rope break, but instead of grabbing the rope with his hands, he bit it with his mouth. And But his hands were free. You know, he, he wasn't tied. The submission had nothing to do with his hands. He could, he could have just touched it with his hands. Um, I feel like that's my problem with Abe sometimes. It's like he thinks of cool things to do. He thinks of cool spots, but there's no real explanation to them. There's no, why would why would you do that? Um, I don't think he sold that well. Um, the Dreisker bomb absolutely knocked Abe out for the pin, um, and he barely sold it. 
he, he, he barely did anything. Um, afterwards, he just kind of stood up. But, you know, I enjoyed the kicks. I enjoyed the fact that he's a massive prick. Um, and when the hits came, he, he can back off with kind of a mardy look on his face and sell them, which, which is really good. Um, and I like the structure of the show here. This was a really exciting match with lots of power and lots of lots of energy. And a lot of that energy came from the crowd. But that, that's what matters. It was the wrestlers that got them to that point. And I think that was a really, really great way to start the show and start the weekend, really. Then we had Vincent Heisenberg against Cara Noir. Um, I'm not going to go on my Cara Noir, again, uh, Cara Noir rant again because um, they kept this really, really simple. He's the former winner. Um, he came out, he wanted to do his entrance and Heisenberg punched him just before he could sort of unwing himself and Noir was fuming and raged at him because he disrespected his art and... You know, some sometimes in this match, Noir sold before strikes landed, and Heisenberg is, is is limited. But did I care during this match? I didn't. I thought this was a great Cara Noir match, and I, I'm not a Cara Noir fan. And it really made me think about Cara Noir as a wrestler, because he's somebody who's positioned himself as 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 somebody who pushes the art form. He's somebody who who who's doing new and exciting things. But this was the best match I've seen him have in a long time. And really, it made me think that the only thing that he's pushing, the only thing that he's doing that's any different, is having an elaborate entrance. And I don't even think that his entrance is particularly good. I mean, I'm not into that Finn Balor, um, Prince Devitt kind of performance art on the way to the ring. I like it to a certain extent, but it, sometimes it can feel very contrived. And I think Cara Noir is the epitome of that. Um but this was a great match because it was really simple. He was insulted and he had to fight back. Heisenberg was bigger and he, he had to fight as the underdog. It just it, it just it made so much more sense. And I think, it, you know, Noir had to really hold on at points. He was really scratching. Um, when Heisenberg went for the power slam, he had to, he had to really strike, like scratch his way out. Um, and he did a huge leap into a rear naked choke and it just looked brilliant. It, it looked like he was really fighting. And I think it shows that Cara Noir has a lot of strengths that perhaps I ignore to, uh, as a fault of mine, but perhaps we don't always see. Next, we had a great match. And there's been a few good matches on in the tournament, um, but I think this might have been my favourite. And it was Peter Tiani versus Egil Blanc. And... This is two young wrestlers, and I think Peter Tiani owned this weekend. I think he's the person that I I, I will be thinking about more and more um, as, as I leave this weekend and going forward with WXW, because I thought he was absolutely brilliant here. Um, he's got a brilliant aura about him, Peter Tiani. He's effortless. Sometimes with wrestlers in their entrances, they can feel scripted. They can feel like they're... Because I mean, it is part of the performance. The entrance is, is a huge part of wrestling and it's a huge part of establishing the characters. But sometimes that can bleed into what we're actually seeing a little bit too much and it can feel a little bit too contrived. Not so with Peter Tiani. He was so relaxed and effortless. His song is absolutely booming. He's got the cocky swagger off to a T. And this was fantastic. It was a, a runaway train of a match. It, it got faster and faster. The dive started to come. There was huge moonsaults. Um, 
absolutely massive, huge moonsault from Egil Blanco, which was which was just absolutely picture perfect. And yeah, of course, it was a little bit sloppy. These aren't veterans. These aren't you know, they're not storied veterans that that have lots and lots of ring experience but you know roles weren't smooth transitions were a little clunky but actually i think it befitted the youth you know it was almost like they were telling the story that they were arrogant that they can do they think they can do better actually that uh, than they actually can and i'm just kayfabe botches away there it says a lot doesn't it about botches if, if you tell an interesting story you can just kayfabe them away in your head and it's gone um, and i'm really not asked about it it had a sense of the mitch hedberg you know that sort of comedian who tells lots and lots of jokes really quickly. If you don't like one of the one of the jokes that he says, that's that's fine because there's another one coming along straight away. Um, Eagles' knees um, off a springboard were great, and there was just a very a great moment of loud stillness. Um, this static stillness of tired wrestlers, where they're just they're, they they've given everything they can. Neither man can beat each other, and they're just heaving on the floor. Um, and it, it, it was just such a, a really satisfying match. Um, and again, it was really helped by the fact it was a tournament. You know, it, it's very different, I suppose, from Kyra Noir, who's won it before. Um, he's trying to prove that he's not lost it, that he's still the best. Whereas with this one, it's two young wrestlers who are desperate to further themselves in the competition. And it was, it was, it was a great story. Um, and both wrestlers could get so much from advancing. Then getting through and getting more eyes on them would have meant a lot, and it, it, it just it had those inbuilt stakes. A huge slice bread from Tiani won, and um, you know they they were arm in arm, and, and they had a, a look at the ref at the end on the three to check it was three, but it was done subtly. So often those things when they checked that the pin count um, was legit and that they actually got the win, it can seem really contrived and very NXT over dramatic. But Tiani played it perfectly, and I, I, I think this was if you're gonna watch one match from the weekend, and you know you want to find these these hot wrestlers who who you think are gonna be are gonna be around for a while and be the future. I think this is this is really one to go and have a look at. Then we had Dennis Cash Dulnick against Lufisto. Uh, Lufisto isn't retired, it seems, um, which. He's good. I, I like Lufisto. I think I, I there was talk of um, Lufisto on the Discord Slack, and I think she's somebody who is really influential in very specific areas. I know she's done a lot for the Canadian uh, independent scene, and and she's a, a mainstay really in in WXW, and she feels like she's a really significant person um, to to WXW, and and that was leaned into here by everybody apart from Dennis Cash Dennis Cash Dulnick, who who told this story that he was insulted, that he was in the ring with a woman. He was all chokes and stomps and, you know, but Lou Fisto wouldn't be intimidated. She was, she did the underdog thing really well. And she, I, I really liked the way she ended this match and because she didn't scrape a win at the end. She definitively beat Dulnick. She just got sick of being beaten down and just decided to turn the switch on and battered him. Almost like she was holding something back because she knew this tournament was going to be long and grueling. Um, so she just waited until until uh, until she needed to and, and put the hammer down and battered him. And I, I thought that was a really good entertaining match. And with three matches into the card, and it's just pacey and exciting, and and I'm all on board. Then we have Marius Alani versus uh, Michael Knight. Um, Alani is a late replacement for Biff Busick, and I I know which which I prefer, um, but. 
Michael Knight was really the the exciting part of this, believe it or not. I know that might be shocking to people who follow WXW. Um, Alani just has a very definitive ceiling for me. Um, and this match was really boring and plodding. Um, Alaniv here felt like he was taking on that Triple H role uh, that he was giving everybody time to go for a wee. Um, it reminds me actually of a great quote that was going round, and I can't remember which wrestler said it. It was about Scott Hall who who died this week. It's very sad, and obviously people were, were sharing memories and, and and quotes. And he's he, Scott Hall's one of those wrestlers that's just infinitely quotable just he, he's had so many great lines and he was on a show and a, and a wrestler independent wrestler asked him oh does anyone know when the interval is and scott hall goes yeah during your match <laughs> and I, I think that that this was the interval match it was there's nothing really to, to to grab hold of and i think it's a shame that michael knight got eliminated um the ankle lock in this was just so flat he didn't even commit to it. And I feel like if a wrestler isn't even committing to an ankle lock, why should I commit to having any interesting thoughts about this match? But it was what it was, and we move on. Um, then we get Maggot against Ace Romero. Um, I love Maggot's theme tune. I'm not so sure I love the weird Jesus thing. Um, not because I'm, I'm religious. I'm, I'm not religious. I just think it's a little bit edgelordy, isn't it? A crown of thorns. It reminds me of... of that kind of Marilyn Manson era of music that we look back on now and cringe. And, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, my favourite band in the world was Mudvayne. And I, now I listen to LD50 and it's all like, you can't change me. And there's a bit of an air of that about Maggot, which is just, you kind of grow out of. Um, again, I think this is going to be a theme with Ace Romero. This was a match of pet hates for me. And... In a lot of ways, sometimes the audience is not to blame, but it, it, it's a, a bit of you've got this hot crowd who are really into everything, and 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 wrestlers are taking bumps and hurting themselves, and and sometimes if if they're over and they're getting a massive reaction for for just standing there, they're not really going to do a great deal, and there was dueling chance at the start, and it went on and on and on and I feel like as these chants went on and on this sadistic part of me was kind of bubbling in my stomach and I was thinking take some fucking bumps I'm paying I'm paying for this I want to see you take a bump uh, and then they did a test of strength and it's just everything felt so drawn out and as I said before Romero's gimmick is he's a fat lad who can wrestle normally and it started to fall apart because I wasn't seeing a great deal of of wrestling. I just I think sometimes if you if you're gonna do a squash, just do a squash. There's nothing wrong with having short matches. If you're gonna drag things out, I mean, this was a three hour show. It could have been two hours twenty minutes. Um, there were moments in this where Maggot went for a choke slam, which is just weird because he he doesn't wrestle like an idiot. He he. He he doesn't wrestle like he's stupid. Yet that was a stupid spot, and I felt like this one. This one killed the crowd a little bit. Then we had Senza Volto versus Irie, and this is a tricky one because Senza Volto is a big deal, and uh, you know he's he's on a bit of a run, and but Irie's the big import, and, and what do you do? And again, that for 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 the viewer and who like us, that sort of quote unquote intelligentsia who's watching with that niggle of booking in the back of your mind, it, it gave us stuff to chew on. Um, this went straight to violence. A little bit slower than I expected, though, and I, I, that was that was kind of surprising. Um, Volta did his dodging around the ropes things and did all these unreasonably complicated dancing on top. As he, as he and he's great. It's always entertaining to see. Uh, they told this 
really interesting story that Volta was just too fast. He was too clever. He annoyed Irie. Irie could always hit that big bomb, but Volto was just that, that step ahead. It was a little bit soulless. I think having two rubbish matches in a in a row um, kind of killed the crowd a little bit. And the speed was a bit too slow. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. I know that might sound absolutely ridiculous. But it, it, it plodded a little bit. It felt like it was one of those matches where Volto was in control for a bit. And then Irie was in control for a bit. But then there was a huge change. The fight and the the from Volta was just unbelievable. There were moments where Irie thought he might have won it and he just couldn't put him away. Um, there was a 6-1-9 through the corner, which was amazing. There was a big sidewalk slam that, that got me. And it was a little bit intangible at the start. It, again, the, the best thing, the best way I can think to describe it was it was slow in its speed. And I know that sounds absolutely insane, but I felt like it needed something to bring the crowd back to life. And they, they needed that time to work each other out. And it reminds me of that Lance Storm quote that I, I think about a lot um, when he was asked about how do wrestlers who don't speak the same language, they don't have any shared way of communicating, how do they wrestle? How do you call things? And his answer was, they just wrestle. And I found that absolutely fascinating. And I felt maybe that's what it was here. They needed just a little bit of time to work each other out. Um, and it was a shame that it was bookended by Flab because they're two great wrestlers and they, they could clearly work really well. And I feel like there's a better match here. Um, you know, Volta sold so well. The scratching, um, standing over Irie and slapping him, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to finish it. That's what both men really portrayed in this match, is that they didn't know how to finish it. Um, and it, that, that that's just brilliant. But Irie goes through, and, and we're going to see all these people later on. We're going to see Volto again. Um, then we've got Bobby Guns against Jonathan Gresham. Um, and the presentation here was really good. It was presented as a technical battle. You had the best in Germany against the best in the world, which is just a perfect story. And you can tell what sort of wrestler someone is when they wipe the feet of the apron. And Guns did that. He was genuine. He he felt like he was respectful of the situation. He was, he was subtle, but he was ready. He felt like he, he walked to the ring like he had a thousand things on his mind and all of them were holds and... Um, obviously Gresham feels like the epitome of this style at the minute. I don't think he is. I think he's still Zack Sabre Jr. by a long way, but Gresham's really built this ROH title up to be a, a, a challenge and he just comes across like this stocky whirlwind. They leaned into that story brilliantly throughout the match. They were circling each other before the bell. They were ready and it felt like stakes were put on stakes were put on stakes. There were scissor headlocks and struggles from Gresham. It never felt like sometimes I've been critical of Gresham in that his grappling sometimes feels cooperative. It feels like he's just doing grappling. But actually this was buttery smooth. He still maintained that practiced, well-oiled feel, but it did feel like a struggle. The pacing was excellent. It built and built. It was back and forth all the way. And it really could have been anyone's. And um, Gresham kept returning to an arm over and over again. And Gunn sold it perfectly. The panic on his face. He nearly got caught in a pin. And 
And it's amazing when these matches are done well, how small things can feel so eventful. There was a hurricanrana at one point that just felt like a massive moment because it, it was a sudden change of pace. It felt like he was desperate almost because the, you know, the technical stuff maybe wasn't working. So they, they go for the, for, the, for the easy thing. Um, guns at, at some points, I think, was just a little bit of a step behind. He he felt like he was gassed at, at one point. Maybe he's, he's still smoking a bit too much. Um, but he, he just wasn't really on the same level as Gresham. There were moments where he would try and do a bridge and he struggled with it. And you think, well, did it did it really need the, the bridge? Um, this So it really became a war of conditioning. And again, when it's great wrestling, you can kayfabe it away. Um, I feel like there were moments with this where... Uh, there were just some spots that were coming through. We talked in the last episode about how some spots are really becoming cliched now. And I think one of them is where you set a wrestler up and do some kind of run off the ropes. It it, it, it highlights the unreality of what we're seeing, I think. Um, but, you know, you can't always argue with someone being booted in the chest. Um, it, it strikes me as funny how, ironically, how Gresham's pure rule stuff, and this wasn't pure rules, but it was in that style. It strikes me as funny how his pure rule stuff always ends up in strikes. It always ends up moving away from the technical stuff. It's almost like he's he's desperate for this technical stuff to work, but it, it never really does for him. Almost like this, he wants to put across a style of wrestling that every night he's admitting doesn't really work and it, it's not that successful. But maybe that's a conversation for, for later on in the episode. I love the handshake at the end. We're going to talk a lot about how they finish matches this weekend. And this is how I want it to be done. So if you watch this match, there's a lovely, masculine, stoic handshake at the end. Gresham went through. Guns, you know, he, he put that those feelings back into his gut like a man does. And he moved on. And they shook each other's hand. And it was just, it, was, it really suited the character of the match and the, and the story that they told. Overall, this was, a, I thought, a brilliant show. I, I, I really did enjoy it. It was, uh, there's no match of the year contender on here. You know, I really like the Volta match. I really like the Volto match. Sorry, not Volta. Don't worry, he wasn't there. Um, he doesn't even exist anymore, does he? He, he? You know, who is he? I don't even know. He's just, he's a memory. He's a ghost sitting on the back seat of a car that you sometimes see in the rearview mirror. You know, we're past him. Um yeah, I really liked the Volto match. I thought the uh, Peter Tiani match was fantastic. And it was a really easy watch. There were things, it was sort of everything was three and three quarters, three and a half, apart from the couple of matches that, that, that were a bit flat. But what a great start. What a fantastic start to the weekend. The next show is shoot style. So let's load those guns, do some pew pews. Go and make another cup of tea if you need it, and we'll be back to talk about Ambition 13. The Ambition Tournament is a, a lot of people's favourite part of the weekend, and I feel like it should be my favourite part of the weekend, but it's not. I don't really like it. Um... It's a shoot style tournament. There are three 15 minute rounds. You can only win by submission, KO or ref stoppage. And 
I feel like I should like this because, as I said before, I like my wrestling to be rooted in reality, and and, and this is as real as it gets. We're saying this is shoot style, this is real style. Um, my favorite wrestlers, people like Zack Saber Junior, they 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 are influenced by the Wigan Snake Pit and 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 that kind of shoot influence wrestling, the catches catch can stuff, and I really like that. But I don't like stuff like this. I I don't like blood sport and. I've been thinking about it and I, I think in a lot of ways that kayfabe almost negates things like this it almost seems hyper real it's not real it's hyper real it, it's an odd reality to these sorts of things that i, I don't think really works and reality in, in entertainment is obviously shaped by context it, it's not a, a constant at all you know you you can't you can have an X-Wing in Star Wars, but you can't have an X-Wing in The Quiet Place Part 2. And, and that just kind of goes without saying, doesn't it, really? It's obvious. But I think they're breaking rules in pro wrestling that we have established. And I don't mean rules as in, as in you know, pin counts and, and, and the rules of the game. I mean the rules of the game in the in the Bourdieu sense. I mean the rules that we've learned, that we've learned to reward certain things in wrestling, certain structures, certain certain ways of selling certain things that we, we we have we have ascribed merit to and worth to that these shoot style matches kind of do away with and ultimately a lot of the time i think these just feel like a ufc fight without the danger and if you take a, a ufc or an mma match and, and and remove that danger what are you left with you you're left with with a reminder of, of how pro wrestling evolves. You know, this is how pro wrestling started and we evolved away from it to make it more exciting. Um, that's not to say these matches can never be exciting. It's just, I think it's harder to be exciting with things like this. Um, and we talked before about Gresham. Um, when the grappling and the shoot style stuff doesn't seem to be working, what does he do? He reverts to pro wrestling. And that's what happened a lot on this show. Um, we had Lawrence Roman against Bobby Guns to start us off, and it all looked great. You know, the tracksuits were good. Guns came out less. Mu- he was muted. He was he was less sort of pro wrestling because it was a less pro wrestling um, environment. Um, you know, there were big strikes, real suplexes. You know, deadlifts and uh, Guns won. And I, I sort of finished the first match thinking, this is great, but from a, I suppose it's great from a technical point of view. But I, I kind of want to just just watch some wrestling we had James Runyon against Icarus and Icarus is a beast he's, he's one of the arrows of Hungary and he, he, he's suited to this kind of thing perfectly um, and he was brilliant at the start the way he looked at James Runyon because James Runyon is very much the berobed pretty professional wrestler and Icarus is not and he, he just he, he Runyon was great as, as he avoided eye contact with Icarus he, he really he, he sold the weight of the situation and Icarus was just staring at him like annoyed he was even in the ring and um Runyon actually came out of this really well. He turned that panic into takedowns, and it was a little bit weird and slow at times. And I, I like little moments, but it, it was it was a bit scrappy and a, a few too many knockdown counts because they did that thing where if you get knocked down, the referee counts to ten, and um, it became a bit desperate because neither man was particularly good at this, and 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 they had to really battle for it, and it was it was fine. Um, we had Oscar against Abe, and Abe was good here, actually. I, I really enjoyed this. Um, but I think I enjoyed it because it was a little bit more pro-wrestling. Um, 
we start Hape's got this move that I think really highlights what I'm talking about here with this shoot style stuff. He's got a thump to the head. And there's something really horrible and primitive about that. It's, it's, it's an old-fashioned thump where he kind of just boosh like, on the top of your head and you can hear that. It's almost like a hollow, thick sound. You know the sound I mean, the, the, that of a, of a banged head that just must tickle some primitive part of your brain that hears that sound and, and hears horrendous injury. And, and, and Abe does that a lot. But I feel like, in a way that highlights the hyper-reality that I'm talking about because that punch was real, but it was also clearly pulled. He's not really giving him a full-force punch to the head. But then later on in matches and elsewhere in sort of the pro wrestling rules, we do full-force forearms. So on the one hand, we're almost highlighting the fact that most of our moves aren't designed to be the most powerful moves. Yet we accept them as, as as participants in kayfabe. We accept them as being incredibly powerful. Yet we're being shown and demonstrated here that they're not. And, and I think that's that's really the crux of what I'm saying is that, that, that kayfabe often by silly workers, by people who scream about who's laced boots and who hasn't, they seem to think that kayfabe is something that is done to people, that we are worked. And, and we are worked often and it's great to be worked. I love being worked. But the vast majority of the time, there's got to be a bit of acceptance from us. We've got to accept that what we're seeing is real. We have to, we just have to make ourselves believe that. And and without that, wrestling wouldn't wouldn't really exist. Um, and I think that that's that this kind of style makes that acceptance a little bit more difficult. Um, we had Enda Kara uh, versus Shigehiro Irie, and again, um, this was. The, one of the better matches on the show because it was pro wrestling. We had the Robinson special style kick from Kara, which was great. Um, I like the fact that Ender made a mistake and went for a takedown, and that's what led him to to, to lose him. You know, I like the fact he lost because he made a mistake. That that's the kind of reality I want. I think in my wrestling, I think there's uh, there's a longer conversation of just how much reality do we need in wrestling, and I think it's that kind of thing, almost that emotional reality that we need. Anyway, the next generation fight, Golden Boy Santos, Santos against Peter Tiani. Um, Golden Boy Santos um, getting annoyed is really good here. Um, he got frustrated with Tiani, but the problem is on a show like this, everyone's essentially doing the same thing at this point. Um, this actually ironically felt like it had higher stakes than the tournament matches because it felt like, again, young wrestlers um, fighting to get attention. Um the size difference look weird again. There's a part, a, a point to the reality here that we in a UFC match you fight against people who are a similar size to you, and here they broke that rule. And uh, I, I, there was chop fests, which were good, but chop fests are pure pro wrestling. So why not just do pro wrestling? Now I mentioned before about the handshake with the Gresham uh, match and, and the, the Gresham guns match and. and uh, there's a lot on this show about how they end matches. A lot of things wound me up. And I think this was the epitome of this. Um, they, Tiani really leaned into the arrogance with this one. He was smirking. He, he was he was really beating Santos. But at the end, we had to have like the cuddling and the and the raising each other's hands. And I don't know. I just don't. Again, thinking about reality, does that break the reality of it a little bit? Are we just 
we're supposed to hate each other in this. We're supposed to be really trying to hurt each other. And, and do people who've really tried to hurt each other then cuddle and, and raise each other's hands and go, you know, when you have a real fight, do you say, oh, well, I lost, but I put on a great show? You know, is that... And I, maybe I don't notice that as much in actual wrestling, but I do notice it more in shoot style because you're asking me to accept that it's real, but you're asking me to accept that it's it's real in very particular ways and not real in others, and, and it just it jars with me. And all of this is a little bit intangible. I know I'm not I'm not probably being as articulate as I could be because I, I don't really know why I feel like this way myself. It's just it's just something that I've been thinking about and something that was really brought to mind during this match, um, well during this 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 whole show really. Um, by the time Icarus and Bobby Guns came out for the semi-final um, you know I was done I think the men grappled they fell to the floor and my eyes wandered to the Oathmark rulebook I'm, I'm getting into rank and flank miniatures games and I want to build my army and I, was, I, I ended up just thinking about that really um, I, I did like the stalemate here but again slaps and things it just felt really pro wrestling Um we had Abe against Irie. Um Again, the thump to the head thing was here again. Um, there were lots of horrible headshots, but there was also shoots. There was also shoot style wrestling mixed with the pro wrestling in a really weird way. You know, they'd shush the crowd so you could hear the thump. And how often do you see a, a real MMA fight where the crowd get hushed so someone so we can hear it? Just it just odd. It's just jarring to me. I know I'm repeating myself. I just, I, just, I just don't know if it was uh, if it, if it works for me anymore. Um, we had Fast Time Moodoo against Jonathan Gresham. Again, uh, I was really... It's really weird with Moodoo. It, it, it carries on this theme of, of saying one thing and doing the other. And Moodoo did a, a great promo where he's like, I live martial arts. And there's just something really dorky and exciting about someone saying they live for martial arts. But then when the match started, he didn't actually do much in the way of, of, uh, of martial arts. Um, there were lots of... Again lads going for grapples and realising later on that they needed to do something that was a bit more pro wrestling because this almost bordered on AMSR at some points. The crowd were quiet. There was an ambient hum. Um, and I found myself wondering how long the rounds were. I think they were 15 minutes. And I just found myself thinking, are they 15 minutes? I can't quite remember. Um, Gresham uh, had to um, forfeit the match here because... He got his dick kicked, um, and the battered dick means a no contest. And Moodoo felt bad because it was an accident, but um, Gresham shook his hand and he, he he didn't he didn't blame him for breaking his dick, which which was nice. Um, you know, it, it happens to the best of us. We get our dick broken sometimes, and and, and whoever breaks your dick, you've just got to shake the hand and, and move on and accept if you're gonna if you're gonna get in the shoot style ambition ring, you you put your dick at risk. Um, I, I I was done at this point. I, it reminded me. I had that feeling. You remember when the Undertaker started wearing MMA gloves, and it just felt really dorky. You know, when you when you hear these stories of the Undertaker and he and he calls his friends the Bow Street Crew, and he 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 says, "Yeah, I, I'm a bit of great MMA guy." And you know, you read those stories. It it reminded me of that story from Brian Pillman, um, senior, the the late Brian Pillman, and he said about how the Undertaker was always really insecure. Uh, because he 
was a basketball player and everyone else was a football player and, and that led to some some really kind of toxic masculine behaviour and I don't know why that whenever anyone does this kind of shoot wrestling I, I, don't, I don't think Gresham or anyone is, is has displays any any display of toxic masculinity but he's got that kind of dorky feeling that 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 has and, and sometimes it really lands with me and sometimes it really doesn't and, and this didn't um so we're at to Abbe against Guns in the final and Guns went for a handshake but Abbe slapped him and we were telling stories and yes we got ground grappling and, and neck holds and thumps to the head um and it yeah the yeah, it was what it was, and I know I'm joking about the rules here, but the the, the whole thing is about rules, and it, it feels like sometimes rules in pro wrestling can really add and help and 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 give opportunities for exciting new stories, and 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 this this it really hindered it. It had a really long ankle lock, which which went against the style. You're telling me that this is shoot style, and and we've had quick tap outs previously in the show, and. This one had a really long, drawn-out ankle lock that just didn't really make any sense. Um, again, there were moments in this where they let each other hit the other. You know, they, they'd stand and allow themselves to be hit, which, again, in a pro wrestling ring is fine. But you're telling me this is a shoot-style tournament. Um, so, uh, Guns stretches Abe's arm out, uh, he taps out, I tap out, and um, I think I've had enough of shoot-style wrestling, which, which feels strange. Um, so let's get on to some pro wrestling then. Let's get back to Carrot Gold Night 2. So we're on to Night 2, and this is a bit of a mixed show, this one, because it's the first half is tournament matches, and then we've just got some big championship matches, as is tr- usually tradition on Night 2. And this is when it started to, to plateau a little bit the weekend. Um, the first show, Carrot Gold Night 1, I thought was was really exciting. There were lots of really good matches, but this was similar in the sense that everything was pretty much of the same quality, but that quality was just ever so slightly lower. Um, we had Hector Invictus out against uh, Irie to start with. Uh, Alani was injured in his match, and, and, and Invictus was the uh, was the replacement. And I tell you what, a lot of people are talking about Regal and how much Regal loves a good pin, a good strong pin, and I think he would hate Hector Invictus because his pins were, were rubbish. Um, for the opening match, it, it felt a bit flat, and it, it's weird to say that because the crowd were really, really loud and noisy and, and, and really clearly really into it. On a, on a level but not really in that genuine level it felt like they were into the whole situation rather than the match uh, which Irie sensed and, and, and got them back on board with a massive cannonball off the apron which is great um, this was, was mainly just sloppy lots of miscommunication and just and just not that good there was some good desperation at the end but um, you know, big bombs from Irie and his, his, his moves and his offence is always really interesting but not really much to report in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what 
I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network then we have peter tiani the man of the tournament against jonathan gresham and this was a completely split crowd which which i really liked um gresham sold that really well you know he 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 looked Tiani up and down as the young kid like he was sizing him up and and then and working out whether he was a threat and just that Gresham's got a great look like a quick look to the side when he realizes that the crowd are on Tiani's side um again this is that pacing that we talked about before about getting faster and faster and faster and and eventually you know Gresham just had the crowd eating out of his hand and, and that was a moment that I really liked because it felt like the veterans saw it as a challenge that everyone was chanting for Tiani and he wanted to get the crowd on his side and when he did that pose he does with his leg out kind of the squat with his leg and lifts his arms up the crowd were eating out of his hand and it was a veteran story told really really well um and it was a, again just that really simple thing of Tiani played Gresham's game to start with. He played the grapple game and, and he couldn't keep up with him. There was a really weird moment in this when Tiani sold a kick that never happened. I don't know if... I think he was maybe trying to sell the forearm because it was when he, he kind of ran the ropes and, and bent over double like he was going to shit himself and sold that. Um, it's like he sold a stomach cake, which I thought was a little mistake. But I, like I say, he's a young wrestler. But it was that Batista flat back bump weird um, that 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 is what it is. Um, he went on, and then there was topes and and cross bodies, and and again the Gresham thing of he starts off with a grappling, but it gets exciting when he starts to pick up the pace and do some pro wrestling. And I, I started to think about this technical wrestling, and 
it reminded me in a way, perhaps because we were in Germany, but of the German purity laws with beer. I was reading a thing about the German purity laws where beer can only contain certain ingredients and be brewed in a certain way. And that's great. You know, simple beer is often really good, but a lot of German brewers find it's it's it holds them back because a lot of people want to see that your beer adheres to the purity law when because it sounds cool and it, it, it speaks to tradition but it is is it actually the best way to brew beer not all the time and it feels like that here a little bit sometimes with shoot style that you have to be a Zack Sabre Jr. to, to really pull it off Gresham snuck a cover and his cheer was great afterwards it, it was like he he, uh, he he snuck it it was almost like he was relieved and and that sold the tournament, I think, and it sold his opponent because, like I say, this was this was Gresham's match. Tiani never really felt like winning, and it wasn't appropriate for him to to feel like he was going to win. I don't think, but I think Gresham's put him over just in that little way that that being relieved that he won, I thought, was really good. Then we had Maggot against Lufisto. Let's have a moment actually for Maggot's theme because Maggot's theme is brilliant. It's like a C60 slide guitar thing and it's really good. Um, I don't know if I came round to the gimmick in this match. I think it's just the right side of Blasphemous. You know, I, I don't know if I, if, I, if, I, if, I came, if I came round a little bit. Um, Lufisto again was good here. She played the scratcher really well and um, she, she was great at telling the story of, of feeling like she had something to prove. That mix of being the veteran but being in the position that she's in as the as a woman in the tournament and 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 not and really wanting to to be dominant and and she played that really well and it was a she she was really easy to get behind um when Maggot yelled fuck you in her face she just swept him off his feet so she did like the the mortal combat down heavy kick and, and, and booted him in his face which was which was great um Maggot took control and it, it got really boring um we got a fight back but it, it was too late and there were there were too many moments in this that really bordered on that randy orton rest hold style of match um there were lots of really slow front face locks and it just it, i think you again, like I said before, with the with the Ace Romero match, you, you, there's not a requirement for this show to be three hours twenty minutes. It can be three hours, it can be two hours if it's good. I don't really think anybody cares, but it, you just it felt like they were dragging things out a little bit, and it wasn't like they were resting to then go really hard and do something really interesting later on. It just felt like they they, they grabbed a hold, and, and and we've kind of moved on from that style of wrestling. I feel. You know, you, you watch an 80s match and, and uh, you you expect that. That was the style at the time, but it's not the style now. So why are we doing it? It's weird. Um, then we've got Cara Noir against Coach Dreisker. Um, it's a weird thing about Cara Noir's entrance because the production of the whole show is was, was brilliant. It looked fantastic. Um, it looked major league. You know, the way everyone was lit, the way everyone came out, you know, Bobby Gunn's entrance on night one, and it, yes, it was part of the way he was acting and the way he was getting into it, but it, part of it was the way it was filmed and produced and mixed, and it was it was brilliant. And it was weird to me that Karen Noir's entrance looked shit. Um, it looked really weird and understated, and it's... I, I wonder sometimes, again, do I not like Karen Noir because of what he does, or do I not like it because he what he do, he's not very good at it? Um... There was a little bit of of really weird acting for him that, you know, Dreisker, again, a lovely moment from Dreisker, wouldn't let Noir in the ring. He stood at the 
um, as as Noir was about to climb in and, and kind of pace back and forth whenever whenever Cara Noir tried to find the spot to get in. So he turned round and he did his winged thing, Cara Noir on the outside, um, which was good. But then he did like a really weird sulky face that just oversold it. Um, the match was really good. He, he, again, it was it was a good match, uh, pretty much on the level of everything else on the show for the most part. Um, Dreisker dominated. Um, the back body drops here were so good that um, someone should dedicate a website to them. Just big, big back body drops. Um, Noir was absolutely schooled and Dreisker looked dominant. It wasn't particularly exciting, but it, it felt like a really good way of telling the story. Um, it lost its way a little bit, which again is a bit of a theme for this show. Um, Dreisker got the bomb, his, his big um, sort of Liger bomb style move and um, I had to re-watch the ending because it came as a shock. I didn't expect the pin to come. And actually when I watched it back, because I had to go back and watch it again, I I realised they had built to the ending, but it just didn't really land. Um, it just, with Noir kind of scrabbled out and, and tried to get his move and then and Dreisker then got his finisher. and It was sudden, but it, it was clearly signposted, but I, I just missed it. Um, I like the promo at the end as well. Dreisker's promo was really good. You know, Karen Noir was on the to-do list and Karen Noir is done. And he moved on. I thought that was a really great, great thing. Um, so they're the tournament matches. We had a few other ma uh, bonus matches. We had uh, the Rotten Flot Invitational Number 1 Contender Tag Team Tournament. Uh, tag Team Gauntlet, sorry, not not three tournaments. We only had two tournaments. Um, started off with... Uh, Spastian Suave and Norman Harass, and you know, it was comedy stuff. And then Dennis Dulnig came out and he signed Invictus without his knowledge. And he played his music, and he, we weren't sure whether Invictus was going to come out. But um, Rotten Flock were, were all right here. They were arrogant shits, they were dominant, and it felt fresh because we hadn't seen them. Obviously, we're at the point in the tournament now where we're seeing a lot of wrestlers who we've seen constantly throughout the weekend, and we hadn't seen them yet. Um, Baby Allison and Victor Heisenberg came out and were, were wacky. Um, Heisenberg got himself disqualified, which was stupid. But then we got Senza Volto and uh, Ike, um, Ike Blank. And they got what a great tag team. What a great tag team. And they were really good against Dornig and Victus. And, and this was a this part of the match was great. And then Bobby Guns and Michael Knight were in next. And, and again, the production was just so fucking good. And it, the chant of Bobby Guns mixed with the synthy music and these two people who, who, who'd been eliminated from the carrot tournament and had, had clearly gone away and found something um, that they, they could, they could make a new sort of fresh start. And, and I, I just got lost in this part of the match. It was so good. It was the, it was the, it was the kind of thing where you just get lost in, in watching it. I'm not, when I'm watching for the podcast, I'm constantly typing on a Google Doc and thinking at take, uh, of takes. And I was watching this and I just stopped typing and I just watched these two people, these two teams, sorry, wrestle and just really enjoyed it. And I thought about how many stars can I give this match? And, and, and I don't know. It was a constellation on a dark night. I'd fuck off with stars. It, it wasn't part of that. Um, there was a double Spanish fly that the wrestlers could barely do, but they could barely do it in a way that was so good because it felt dangerous and, you know, the crowd were alive and I, I just wish um, Guns and Knight had had a match against Volta and Blanc. I just thought that that would have been better. Um an amazing moonsault from Volto, just absolutely brilliant. And suddenly, all the overbooking nonsense that happened earlier on in the Gauntlet match was forgotten, and I, I just thought that was brilliant. Um, 
abdominal stretches with a boot to the face later on that I really liked. I just thought it was so good. And um, Knight and Guns won and, and are now number one contenders. And I know obviously the tag tournament's a big deal in, in WXW and, and these two, I, 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 I loved them. I thought it was great. Um, then we've got the Shotgun Championship. Absolute Andy's injured and he's had to give up the... Uh, He's had to give up the title and, and shotgun matches are decided by lottery and the lottery was Ninja Mac against Ace Romero. Um, yeah, Ninja Mac from GCW. Um, the world's worst promotion, I believe, um, GCW. And, and I'm not really willing to take any any questions on that one. I think it's, it's self-evident that GCW is shit. Um, we're back to the Ace Romero problem. There were they managed to have dueling chance at the start of this match for a good 45 minutes, which is weird because there was a 15 minute time limit on the match. And I do blame the audience now. I was nice about the audience earlier on, but this was stupid. We didn't need dual chance here. I could see the, the clock counting down and the wrestlers were just looking at each other. Um, there was a couple of big back body drops. Shout out to Ian. Um, and Ninja was skulking on the outside afterwards not wrestling just sort of shouting um the crowd chanted for head headlocks don't chant for headlocks you know chant for effort please you know we don't we don't the headlocks are fine but we don't we don't need more of them um at one point ninja mac hid under the ring and he he, he snuck out the other side because he's a ninja isn't he and that was probably the most exciting part of it ninja mac sells like an idiot he sells like an idiot he sells like he had no concept of pain before he entered the match. He's, you know, he's, he's selling as if pain is a new concept to him every time he goes into the ring because he forgets. It, he, I didn't enjoy this match. Then we had a, uh, the Tag Team Championship match. The champions are of, Arrows of Hungry against Stephanie Mays and Fast Time Moodoo. Um, Moodoo and Mays are terrifying. Um, they're, they're very... They, they're children. They look like children. But they look like children who could kick the shit out of me. And I'm 35 years old and I'm terrified by people who are much younger than me who look like they could batter me. Um, maybe it's an insecurity. but I mean, Because most people can batter me. But I don't mind it if they're older. But the fact that these two people are younger than me, uh, it makes me feel a little bit insecure. But people who aren't going to be battered are going to, are the arrows are hungry. Their entrance here, and like I say, the production all the way through has been fantastic. But their entrance... The outfits were amazing. The way the camera they they stood on the on the on the uh, on the entrance sort of the stage where they, they come out and the camera panned away perfectly. And they've got these these outfits on that that suggest there's a frightening Hungarian mythology that I've never heard of, but it would make me shit my pants if I read it. And, and they just look terrifying. And they're they're so cool. They absolutely rule the arrows of Hungary. Um, they're not the best wrestlers in the world. Um, but I love them anyway. I don't care. Um, this had a, a big match feel. Um, you know, Icarus played being arrogant really well. He was up against a woman, and again, that story being he felt like it would be easy, but she battered him. She absolutely kicked him. Um, and then to the point that Icarus actually shit himself and tagged over him, which I thought was really good. Um, there was a hot tag. You know, Mays really spent most of this time getting beaten down to, to build to that hot tag. And Moodoo came in and, and he isn't very good. You know, he, he's he's got lots of cheese, but not much chutney. And you really need the chutney sometimes. Um, there was the crossfire, late pin interruptions, big boots. Um, I think Mays got the pin and she deserved to through sheer hard work here. You know, she, she, she was the star of the match and... Um, 
there was a nice bit of respect afterwards, which I hated. I, I felt like this the match was too violent to have the the the, the love in at the end. Then we're on to another championship match. Um, Ivor Kalaski versus a uh, Ava Everett. Um, this was just nothing. I I just don't really have an opinion on this match. It, it was it was um, Everett can can lay in a choke. Um, I know a lot of people rave about her. She's from Smash Wrestling and and all the promos and things. But um, there was just lots of awkward mumbling conversation for lots of this match, and and I was again being distracted by Zona Alpha by Osprey Games. I, I found myself looking away and and being distracted. Uh, Ava Everett's the new champ, and and that's the end of my review for that match. Then we had the uh, the big one, the WXW Unified World Wrestling Championship. Axel Tisha against Jörn Simmons, Tristan Archer and Levaniel. Um, a bit of a theme of the weekend here that Levaniel really came across as a star. He was really built and uh, I think that was really important. Um, he's got this thing going on between Levaniel and Archer where Archer is clearly jealous of his uh, of his youth and, and that's a nice little wrinkle. Um, I thought Tisha's character here was brilliant. He was almost promising to police the match. He was saying that, you know, there's all this stuff going on and all this, 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 these arguments, but, you know, I want a proper match and I'm going to make sure there's a clean, fair match. And it, it, it was a really championship kind of promo, which, which was really good. Um, Axel Tisha came out like a badass. You know, and do you know there's something in this that during the entrances that I really appreciated is that the commentary knew when to be quiet. They knew when to stop and just let that mo little moments breed. Like they had lots of heart-shaped balloons for Levaniel and they let him have this moment where he came out and looked like a star. Um, I really like Levaniel. I like the fact that he's a little bit of a prick. I don't. I like the fact that he's not a pure blue eye um, and he feels like we can really get behind him. Um, my issue with this match is the same that I have with every multi-man match, is that wrestlers work other wrestlers while others take turns and again there's a bit of a hyper reality to this that this sort of thing we see wrestlers will get a punch to the face and then they'll lie on the floor for, for five minutes and you think well you take fifth you're going to take 15 of those punches in a minute and be fine and carry on wrestling and i find it hard to kayfabe that i find it you know i earlier was saying about botches i could forgive them because in my head i can just explain them away and then they're gone but i can't explain that away um the effort was there throughout this, but there was just lots of very contrived, um, pre-planned spots. Kind of wanted Archer and Levaniel to just just have a have a match and, and settle the feud that way. Uh, I'll be fair though; it was swift. There were lots of believable pin attempts. I, there was multiple moments where I felt like it could have ended. Um, it just it, lots of moments like Simmons had an absolutely mental frog splash that I thought was really good and. Uh, Archer ended up getting the win, and it just—it's a shame, isn't it? It's just with it's, it's it's four ways, um, are never good. But we have got four new champions, so it shows lots of moving pieces for WXW. And I think this shows that it'd be a, a great time to to jump on. So that was the end of night two. A little bit of a of a three star special show, but it's all leading to to the final. It's all leading to where we're go we're going to go with the semi finals and the finals. So. Let's see how it ended up and let's see if they can save the weekend. So all roads lead to the final. 
and here we are. But actually, we've got to get to the semi-final first. I don't know why I said that. And the first one was uh, Lou Fisto against uh, Coach Dreisker. And this was really, you know, much the same as everything else on the show. It was three stars. There was a, clearly a little bit of a story there that was that was interesting. There was two bruisers facing up against each other. But it kind of had the same story that we'd seen from Lou Fisto all the way through. That her opponent underestimated her and she has to prove herself and... She did do that. I mean, she's mad over Lufisto, and and she could get a simple story out of failed fight backs, and um, there was a, a little bit more brutality from Dreisker here than we'd seen previously in the tournament. But it, it was it was really just a match as much as anything. Um, but it was very definitive for Dreisker at the end, which I think was important going into the finals. He he, he it was almost a reverse of that first Lufisto match where she just put her opponent away. Um, it, yes, she, it wasn't easy. She had to scrap for it, but in the end, it was one person fell off, and here it was Lufista who fell off, and, and Dreisker was able to put her away. Um, then we had Gresham versus Irie, and I, I really felt like this should have opened. I think this was huge, huge bombs from the get go. Um, Gresham did some really weird grappling in this one. Again, this is. This should be a, a show for when technical wrestling goes too far because Gresham went too far here. He did like a weird footlock. He just put both his feet on Irie's feet and that meant he couldn't be lifted up even though Irie had hold of his, his hand. And, uh, that was, to me, that's even worse than the paradise lock. Um, but Irie was probably Gresham's best opponent because he didn't really try and, and grapple. He was all power with big shoulder blocks and uh, Gresham was technical in his responses it wasn't there's often that thing with technical wrestling as well where the opponent tries to be technical in return which always seems really silly because you're against a technical specialist but um, they didn't do that and I thought that was really good uh, Gresham was flying forearms all over the place and there was a great one where he, he, he delivered a couple of flying forearms and then on the third one Irie caught him and, and dropped him in a Samoan drop which was fantastic and there was lots of great exchanges in this like speed grappling uh, ended by big clotheslines and it, it made me think why we've not had more of that previously um, and this was, I thought this was a, re a really good match um, I, I think that you know, lots of great kickouts um Strange ending. Uh, I liked it though. Um, Gresham got a figure four and kind of stood up, which meant that Irie was pinned. It was almost like he was he was forced to remain in that pin position because of the pain he was in, and I, I thought that that was a really weird way to finish a match. I really liked that. Um, we had another drawn out handshake. You know, I'm sick. I'm sick of handshakes at the end of matches. I'm. I, I don't know if, if I'll calm down on this one, but you know, Irie was crying and he was upset and he didn't want to shake Gresham's hand, but Gresham said, "No, you're going to shake my hand." And then he shut. Just, just fucking get out the ring, go away. Um, then it was non-tournament action. Uh, Ava Everett against Baby Allison. Uh, new champ Ava Everett came out and did an annoying promo. Uh, it's just screamed heel I am a heel to me I know a lot of people rave about Ava Everett's promos and it didn't really do that much for me um, this is one of those matches where you end up worrying about your Kleiner account you know you, your mind wanders to, to other life admin you know you think if I fall asleep in an hour what time can I get up and still feel like I've had a lie in you know it, it was just it, it just wasn't particularly uh anything of note really it was fine um allison wins and uh eva kalaski comes out and we have another route We're probably going to get a freeway aren't we um and it was Kara against uh dennis cash dulnig 
Dolnik was really shocked when Noir unwinged, and I don't really know why, because that's Noir's whole thing. That's his, his best thing. He does the unwinging thing. Uh, actually, I thought Noir was good at the start of this. He was smarmy and arrogant, and I think he, he played that off really well. Uh, but it just really soon descended into creepy faces. And when they got too close, Dunny got a mask out of his duds. And then Noir got a mask out of his pants. And they put masks on because they were close now. But they they, they were close. And, uh, read answers on a postcard for that one. I, I, I don't understand. Um, there were lots of toeholds in this. It was very toe-based. Uh, I mean, it was decent enough. It was forced at times. It was just a bit heightened where it shouldn't have been. And... Uh, I don't know. The, the ending was Noir became dead weight and he, he, he collapsed before a kick. You know, he, he, Dolnik went for a kick, but he, he passed out um, and he, he ended up using that to, to trick him uh, at the end. He, he pretended to, to be to be, woo, to be woozy and, and to, to be... I don't know. It's just stupid, this match. I, I wasn't into it. Um, it made me question the structure of the shows, actually. I, I, I kind of wondered if maybe this could have been a dark match. I don't really feel like I needed to see it. Um, then it was the Shotgun Championship. It was Ninja Mac, our new champion, uh, versus Maggot, versus the Rotation, versus Endakara. Um, Ninja Mac was an idiot here again. He got his not, his block knocked off uh, quite a few times. Uh, Endakara received the most powerful move in wrestling, which is the punch to start a three-way that meant he had to, well, a four-way in this case, which meant he had to sit around on the outside. Uh, again, Ninja Mac was Ninja Mac. Um, he's GCW fan build of a good wrestler, isn't he? He's what GCW fans think he's good, and he's not. He's shit. He's rubbish. Um, there was lots of speed in this, lots of high-flying. And actually, do you know what? I'm going to take that back. Ninja Mac was actually quite good at this. When he started doing the high-flying, he, he was actually good. And you just think, well, why didn't you do that uh, more often? Um, and then Ninja Mac, I mean, he did a jump off the balcony. And when I say he did a jump off the balcony, you might be imagining like the Budokan one or the, the one from Progress of the Manchester show. This balcony was higher than those. It was insane. This was like a Shane McMahon level bump. And look, I, I'm calling him shit and I'm saying he was rubbish. And I, I, I've got to take that back when somebody does something like that because he's just absolutely phenomenal. Um, Maggot got the pin in this and um, he got a really genuine pop. And, and that's infectious. So I, I thought that was really good. Another um, exhibition match, uh, uh, Tisha against Abe. Uh, Tisha sold the, uh, the loss really well like there was just something in his entrance like behind his eyes he was annoyed that he wasn't in the in the um, in the, the decision I think and, and he, he lost his his title even though he didn't really lose the match you know he didn't win but he didn't lose either and I think Tisha there was an air about that there um, to him this was decent enough but it was a gentleman's three um, you know he's Tisha got his arm worked and he sold it. He sold the arm and submissions were moved in too quickly and it was just a little bit boring. Uh, it was impressive to see Tisha do this thing where he was he was he was in an arm bar, but he he picked Abe up and squatted with him on his shoulders. But it was a bit of an Ingve Malmsteen solo this one. It was technically impressive, but only an idiot would think it was great. Uh, Slapfest was was decent, but I, I think I was tired at this point. Um, and I was I was done. And we had this one. We didn't just have handshakes. We had handshakes, bows, and cuddles. 
Then we had a, a tag team match, three versus three, Lucha Libre rules. We had Senza Volto, Egil Blanc, Ace Romero um, against Icarus Dover and Peter Tiani. And this should have been good, shouldn't it? This should have been really good. And it started off really good. There was lots of jumping around, lots of exciting moves, um, people doing cool shit, and people doing cool shit is cool. What's not cool is dancing. And I, I, don't, I don't care if this makes me seem grumpy because I don't like it. They, they had a massive dance-off. Uh, Icarus and Volta started it. And as soon as they started dancing, to me, this match was immediately a dud. Immediately a dud. I mean, music, they started playing music and it was rubbish. The crowd liked it. The crowd were wrong to like it. I, I, I said I like Arrows of Hungary. I, I said I thought they were great. Now I don't, based on this match. I've I've gone on their cage match and I've I've rated them a zero. Um, <laughs> you know when the wrestling started again, I was I was pacing around my garden, surrounded by my own ripped up shirt that I'd ripped off in a rage. Um, not really. I can I can ignore this. I, I still like all the people in this match or most of them, but I, I just think I, I, no, not for me. Then we got to the finals, and this really needed to be good. I think it it really needed to be good um, because. Since the end of night one, we've just had a lot of three stars, and there was not not much was was really bad over the weekend. There were a couple of bits that I didn't like, and you know the dancing I've just spoken about, and a few matches didn't land. But overall, everything was good. But I felt like we needed a great match. We needed this final to be to be something special, uh, and I'm starting to wonder maybe if Gresham just does have a bit of a ceiling. Um, I've always liked Gresham, and I, because he's been on a European tour, I've, I've watched more of him in in close kind of proximity. You know, I'm seeing more of his matches more regularly, um, and I, I don't know if he's if he's got a ceiling. Um, Dreisker was good here. He, he went straight to the corner. He did big punches. He 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 went for he did the Dreisker bomb early, which I thought was really good. Um, we and we were straight into the action. Uh, he, Gresham then told the story of, of desperately trying to recover and it was a dominant performance from Dreisker and we've seen Dreisker be dominant before and end up winning um, but I feel sometimes with Gresham you see the cogs moving I can see the story but I, I can't really feel it and then we ended up with bear hugs and waist locks um, again talking about being able to see the story rather than feel it halfway through the roster that came down and were banging on the ring and it, it just felt really artificial and there was a forearm exchange in this because we we have forearm exchanges in matches it not because it warranted it um second big dry bomb got a kick out and Gresham to be fair was great in the closing part of this he was infectious that he got come on with his arms wailing everywhere desperate for the win was really good um and he won the match and Dreisker got his heat back brother at the end he he he, uh, he beat up Gresham uh, and he beat up uh, Francis Caspin he, he, he targeted his, his injured back the sporting director was, was forced into retirement because of him it, it just felt a little bit strange because you know minutes ago we had wrestlers surrounding the ring and, and cheering and, and congratulating Gresham but, but none of them felt the need to stop this it, it spoke to a bit of a problem I've had throughout the show of of, of moments taking precedence over sense um, but that's it, that was the, the 16 karat gold tournament um, it's a strange one because 
it it wasn't bad by any stretch, but there were very very few high moments, and I felt like he just needed a couple of really really big sort of shining lights to to to, to cling on. I think to, to to really recommend it. I thought Peter Tiani was brilliant. I think they've clearly focused on building younger stars like they have been during lockdown, and I think that that's obviously really smart. Um, but it, it was just a bit of a shame that it, it never really seemed to hit the heights that it needed to. It's definitely something to cherry pick. I don't think it's something to sit and watch from from start to start to end. And well, I, I've done that for you, so you, you don't really need to. Um, but I, I would I would go back and watch that them Peter Tiari matches because I, I thought they were great. So that's it for another episode of Eurograps Express. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it was relaxing. Um, I don't know what we're going to do in the next episode. There's nothing been up from RevPro. There's no. Uh, I think there's a progress show. I choose you, choose you, but we'll, we'll, we'll avoid that as best we can. Um, but I hope you have a lovely fortnight, and I will see you again in a couple of weeks. <laughs>